Hey y'all, Jonathan Hilliard from Connects Media and your host on Atlanta Born and Brand here. We are back for another week of the best of Atlanta Born and Brand Season 1. This is part 2 in our best of series for the summer. Today we are going to be talking about product builders. Um, If you are working on building a hard good product in the city of Atlanta or if those are the types of businesses that you like, then this is going to be definitely the episode for you. Today we are featuring two of our guests from the season one of the show. First up today is going to be our guest from episode six, Jerry Chanel from O Sleeper Manufacturing Company. Now, Jerry and his team, they produce a lot more than one product. As custom furniture uh, designers and manufacturers, they're constantly revamping uh, their product line and doing custom work for uh, clients big and small and just the constant uh, process that they go through to create incredible products was something that we were definitely drawn to on the podcast and I think you guys will take great value from. So let's go back and listen to an excerpt from Jerry Chanel from O Sleeper Manufacturing Company. So we're sitting here at Midland Coffee in Gainesville uh-huh. and I'm looking at the table we're sitting at yep. it says O Sleeper Manufacturing Company Yep. Uh, kind of um, branded into the into the top into the table tabletop. Yeah. Um, o Sleeper. Mm-hmm. Was that something you knew from way back when that you wanted to use? Did it come to you and you know on a flight from some <laughs> faraway land? Yes, as um, many things seem yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Funny, honestly, man. Like, so you know, I grew up like in the ministry world mm-hmm. because of my parents. Um, and my, my parents are awesome. They, they really strive to be super authentic in what they do. And, like, unfortunately, a lot, especially when I was growing up, like, maybe it's getting better. But, unfortunately, a lot of the things that come out from, like, a faith-based background are just, like, super cheesy. And, like, yeah. you know, here's a Christian film. And it's like, man, I could have done better than that with, like, my freaking flip phone or something, you know. And it's just, like, awful so what I didn't want was to like have something like that I was a part of be something that was like Fishers of Men workshop yeah. or like felt fake salt of the earth. Yeah. And if there's anybody out there listening to this, that that's your like woodshop <laughs> name. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Fishers um, of Men manufacturing company definitely doesn't have the same ring. Man, to it. I really hope yeah. somebody out there doesn't have that and are like super pissed off at me right now. <laughs> Um, anyways, we'll, we'll Google it before right, we right. You know, put it out there. <laughs> um, so I remember one day I was just like reading my Bible and just kind of studying some things. And, and I read Ephesians 5.14, which says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the grave, and the light of Christ will shine upon you. And I just remember being like, that's it. You know, like that is, that is what we want to do with this. Like if somehow we can take a for-profit company that we're passionate about, that we love, that we want to be in the community with, and we can actually use it as a way to, like, waken people up to, like, what I believe is the truth and, like, what we want to be, like, that we want to be impactful for our community where we live. If we can somehow do that, that's what we want. And O Sleeper just kind of seemed like something that wasn't super, like, Christianese, you know? (laughs) So... We get a lot of people that are like, what do you make, like mattresses or something? (laughs) So, you know, it has its drawbacks, but. (laughs) With a team and a brand in place, it was time for the hard part, finding clients to grow the business. Even more difficult was the time and effort Jerry would have to spend to make sure the company succeeded. Like when I was in Texas and in Indiana, I had random people call me because I had like kind of put stuff out on like Instagram. Sure. Um, you know, this is what I'm building, yada, yada. And I had built some stuff for uh, that guy in Texas that I was telling you about, you know, and, and put that on Instagram and social media. And um, so I had random people um, ask me to make stuff for them. And so I think I had kind of started putting out to the world like, hey, I'm available for hire. If you want me to build something, just let me know. Yeah. And um, so when we started, there was already a couple things, like, kind of in the queue. Yeah. Um, And we just kind of 
wrote down a business plan and said, okay, we need to do X, Y, Z, and let's try to make it happen. And yeah, that's what you did. Hit the ground running. What were some of those X, Ys, and Zs? Let's see. We kind of had a, some branding strategy talks. Right. Um, we we talked through like, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna make like pennies. So because I live in my parents' basement, I don't really have hardly any expenses right now. So. Thankfully, my wife is amazing, and she, like, allowed us to do this process. You know, she was super supportive. Yeah. It was really hard for her. Um, Like, I think that's one thing that if I could communicate to any other entrepreneurs, it's like, you need to be really careful. Like, especially if you're married, be super careful because it's it's challenging. and when you're like working 100 hours a week and making like 10 bucks it's like i mean there's a ton of sacrifices that go into that and you um some of them are not as in your face as you think they are like my wife was at home you know with a newborn and our toddler while i was just cranking away you know and so um that's a little tangent there but (laughs) and no and I'm glad you said that because I think it's you know a fair warning too and I'm sure you're feeling some of this now but I think as people are wanting to dive into entrepreneurship especially as a husband who's supporting a wife and sometimes kids it's easy to think all right six months a year I'm gonna be working really hard and then things will be established and it'll be it'll super be chill. Yeah. yeah, I'll work and I'll, my nine to five will be there. It'll just be the doing four what hour I'm, work week. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's not really how it works out. No. Though, no, as, as an entrepreneur, as a small business owner, like you're kind of on the line, you know, from here forward. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a conversation that my wife and I had to have. I naively decided to start my own business with the goal of having better hours for my family mm-hmm. and yes like I didn't have okay I have to be at work at night four times a week or on this many number of weekends but it was a conversation my wife and I had to have like three or four months into the process of all right like this is new normal and we're gonna have mm-hmm. to get creative yeah. with like yeah. how we spend time you know both as a married couple and as a family to really maximize this. But it's like you said, if they're not bought in, mm-hmm. you probably need to figure out something else. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? it's so true. I yeah. mean, my, my wife is so patient um, because I did a really bad job at that, hmm. like really bad. Um, and it's it's been three years, but there's still, like yeah. three years later, there's still conversations of, hey, uh, so haven't seen you in three weeks when do you think we can you know see you (laughs) so i mean having that conversation and i I really wish i would have like even maybe i'm too stubborn that i wouldn't even listen but i wish i would have had an entrepreneur be like hey look man your goal like everything you're thinking right now is super unrealistic (laughs) like maybe you should step back and be a little bit more uh, realistic about yeah. what you think is going to happen. Prepared, you know? realistic, yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah. yeah. The core tenet of Awaken Impact is critical to O-Sleeper's DNA, but it's not just through their work that Jerry is hoping to do that. The company is literally putting their money where their mouth is and giving a portion of their proceeds to people and charities in need. How do you decide... Um, what that is where that portion that um you know is it something that kind of revolves you kind of mm-hmm. always thinking about different causes and places that yeah. that might benefit yeah yeah for sure yeah. um so when i was in argentina um some of my very best friends richard and ashley whitmore they um kind of after argentina they moved to brazil to work with uh and colombia brazil right at the border to work with amazon indians and so I got to go visit them and like help work with them, um, and we just started thinking like, man, what do what do it look like yeah. for us to somehow we call it flexing the muscle of commerce here <laughs> in the states, you know, f- somehow use 
woodworking, business, profit, somehow use that to help down there. And so right. like right now we're working on a project that we are, um, we're going to partner with the people actually that do the coffee here in this coffee shop, Phoenix yeah. Coffee Roasters, um, where we're going to sell like a Christmas item that's uh, a coffee pour over station and it'll be like a hundred bucks. Yeah. Um, and a portion of that will go to help with the children's home there in nice. uh, Colombia and Brazil cool, right man. there. Yeah. So that's really neat. Just different things that people on our team are passionate about. We want to like yeah. look into that, vet them, and see how we can help. Right. So yeah. This is a kind of a higher level, and it might be taking a step or step back or two. But I'm wondering for you, what is it about woodworking or kind of that that manufacturing process that kind of speaks to you or that you enjoy the most? Um, I think I just like, I, I, I really enjoy creating, you know, I mean, it's just fun to be able to think through, like, I mean, you can't do this with every piece, but a lot, it's like, how, how is my personality coming out in what I'm creating, you know, and, um, something really cool happened the other day where somebody was like hey i saw this here did y'all do that and i was like yeah so it was like this crazy cool moment of being like somebody actually like looked at a piece of furniture and it was like reflective of me it had some some identity in it yeah it was really cool and again you know sometimes you can't do that sometimes it's like hey can you build this like really traditional classical piece and it's like yeah, we can do that. It's not necessarily something I would put in my home, but we'll do it. You know, um, I just I like I like the I like being able to start a project, design it, and then like finish it and and have the fulfillment of like something physical that that came about because of like blood, sweat, and tears. You know, in your business. I imagine you work an awful lot with kind of raw material, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm always fascinated fascinated by that because it's like for you it seemed like that would be half the battle is just kind of choosing the ingredients mm-hmm. and kind of gathering that you know like perfect you know recipe for whatever mm-hmm. it is you want to build. Like, yeah. what's that process like for you? Kind of. You know, are you chopping down trees as much as you are, uh, are you doing other things? Are you, you know, Man, sourcing that from other places? We have. We yeah. have. I, I wish we could do it more. Um, it's a pretty costly endeavor to, like, actually harvest lumber out of a tree. Yeah. Um, just because it takes so much of your own time. Sure. And, but, um, like, material selection is pretty fun. Sometimes. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Sometimes it's like... You know, you can't go with this exotic wood because it's just too expensive and it's out of the client's budget. But, um, you know, I mean, we did like, (laughs) we did this awesome big uh, conference table for a lawyer in Atlanta that we did it um, out of Perota, which is this um, Costa Rican tree that's like the fastest growing hardwood tree, but it was like, we got this one piece of wood, single piece, it wasn't a glue up or anything, single piece of wood that was 13 feet long by like plus or minus 50 inches wide. Wow. You know, it's just this gorgeous like reddish brown color and then there was this blonde hint going around the sides it was just super cool and so being able to do stuff with like fun stuff like that is cool we got a we got this opportunity um a tree came down in one of my really good friends yard in atlanta and it was this massive oak tree and they were like you know this is a super old tree and when the the arborist came to work on it or actually, I don't think it came down. They actually had to cut it down. Anyways, the arborist was like, this is, this is it's called a Sherman Oak, which means it, it was here during the Civil War, and General <laughs> Sherman, Sherman didn't burn it down, wow. and it's still here. That's and so insane. we got the opportunity to harvest it yeah. and cut it into slabs. And so wow. it's actually uh, just about done drying and getting ready to use so we have the and they're like it's kind of same thing they're like 48 inches wide yeah. so we're gonna have to have to do some pretty cool stuff for that because it's kind say, of a yeah, big plans for historic that one, sure. thing yeah 
I love being here. Uh, I think Gainesville is like right at the cusp of just exploding. Like where where our shop is right now, um, it used to be just this rundown kind of ghetto area. And it, it's just really cool, like things that people are starting to say, I mean, like people are starting to, to build stuff there and it's becoming this place where there's like a lot of things happening. And, yeah. and uh, so, yeah, we're just excited about it. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's mirroring what's happening happening in the whole area and like down in Atlanta too. Yeah, of, for sure. Like these old city neighborhoods that people kind of abandoned and mm-hmm. left for dead almost mm-hmm. that for whatever reason in the last 10 years, people have just started deciding. You know, I think there's something to small businesses role and involvement in it too of saying exactly what you just said okay we're not a bunch of people that are out on our own for our own good you know feeding our own families worrying about our own bottom line like mm-hmm. if that's the case your city dies you yeah, know your community sure. goes sure. away but if there's that feeling of okay as ceo of o sleeper i'm gonna mm-hmm. go and i'm gonna support the coffee shop down the road as much as i can mm-hmm. and that local business owner because yep. yep. he's he or she is the same as me mm-hmm. you know yeah. and in doing that in in communities it's cool to see neighborhoods kind of like completely flipping you know and turning mm-hmm. into in some cases what they used to be and in some cases building something in a place where mm-hmm. it never really has been much yeah. of anything it's cool to yeah. see kind of driving around gainesville today you know, I live in Buford. You start to see those little, like little signs of that too. Yeah, yeah. Like little areas where people are walking and hanging out right. outside yeah, and, yeah, and doing sure. stuff like that. So yeah. it's cool. It's cool to, to see that happening. But um, okay, last kind of wrap up thing. What what do you see in the future for O Sleeper? Where where do you hope this is? 15, 20 years mm-hmm. down the road, where do you want to take it? Um. Man, honestly, I mean, we're really excited about a lot of things. Um, we are we're growing like crazy, um, and we're trying to say, you know, what does it look like to make sure that we're we are like um, being proactive about the growth and not reactive? Um, because the last thing I want to do is just kind of become some mainstream, you know, run-of-the-mill furniture company um, that doesn't have this, like, quality of impact and doesn't have this um, this feel about it anymore that's like, man, we want to really impact people and help people. That would be awful. <laughs> um, like, if we were a multi-million dollar company and that happened, I would consider it a failure, you know? Um, and so, man, 15 years, if, if we had, like, we're, we're really working towards creating, like, a line of furniture that we can create and, like, somehow figure out what it looks like to inject all of those qualities of, like, impact, excellence, really cool art, artistic design. If we can have all of that in that line of furniture, we would love that. That's something that we're trying to do. Um, we've, we've been really busy with, like, commercial work. We did... Uh, like a brewery in Virginia, Devil's Backbone. We got to do their headquarters. We've got actually two or three big breweries uh, coming to Atlanta that were uh, kind of on the ground floor of like talking through what it would look like for us to build them out and do stuff like that. There's a there's a sports bar here in on the square in Gainesville that we're going to be doing. Uh, we're getting to work with uh, Dress Up. Uh, it's a really cool local boutique that's just yeah. exploded across the the southeast so i would say i mean in 15 years like i I hope that like maybe the commercial division of what we do is like a little bit more organized in how we do it but we're like we're just excited for what that can bring so uh and i would definitely say like i hope that in 15 years there is just a freaking massive like portfolio page of like you know here is a group of people in Africa or this a group of people in, you know, Colombia, Mexico or, you know, wherever. And and this is how O Sleeper was involved in creating opportunities for um, 
community development and like helping people because the last thing I want is to just like say okay we're all sleeper we're here to change the world let's do it you know follow me like really what I want is to say okay if we can go to like if we can go to Colombia to the Amazon jungle and find like one guy so we have this one guy named Ugo that we love and he's just this like super creative guy and if I can say okay Ugo if we can like develop Ugo to where he is like passionate about awakening impact you know in his city then it's like something that 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 is like locally grown right it's not like oh a sleeper came from America and you know did the American right. thing like I would rather it be something that can be developed from within you know so in 15 years if there's like all these stories of that happening man I'll be so pumped this web of inspiration yeah that man kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. People to, yeah to that next step yeah yeah so oh, that's, really that's, cool. a, that's a huge dream and I mean yeah. <laughs> you know uh, entrepreneurship is feast or famine so some days I'm like man we're doing it it's gonna be there and some days I'm like well we're gonna shut the doors tonight <laughs> we're done <laughs> so <laughs> yeah guess what honey I'm going back to the nine to fiver <laughs> I think McDonald's is hiring make sure and follow Jerry and the guys from O Sleeper on Instagram at osleeper underscore mfg underscore co and Check them out on the web, www.osleeper.com. Next up is our episode 18 guest, Will McQuain, from Good Cigar Company. Will's company is a product company through and through. They identified a problem in the cigar industry, designed a product that they felt like would solve that problem, and went full speed ahead. They've got some really exciting stuff going on here in the city of Atlanta that hopefully we're going to be able to update you on soon. But first... Let's take a look back and hear this excerpt from episode 18 with Will McQuain from Good Cigar Company. You make the decision to go full tilt with Good Cigar Company, and that prompts a bigger decision. You're in San Francisco, San Francisco, California. Yes. What challenges did that pose for starting this cigar company? I always say that I think San Francisco is a phenomenal town to start a company in because I would go and get dinner and and get to sort of pick the brain of people who were like at uh, Pinterest and Spotify and just like people doing uh, really smart people solving really big problems and who had sort of gone from zero to 100,000 or 10 million users. Not not that we have anywhere anywhere (laughs) near those numbers, but it was... Just, I mean, the energy, sort of like I was saying, the energy of that city was really conducive to, like, reminding you that, like, hey, you can do this, you and you should do this. Um, but, sort of, uh, the downsides are were are many, that when when you're not a venture-backed company, I, you know, I've, the first two years is totally self-funded. Um, a, a buddy of mine uh, who now, who still works at Square, so my, he's, uh, I kind of skipped over that part, but I have a... a a co-founder named Andy. And so he, as I was working on this, I was like, okay, one of the, one of the many, there are a lot of hoops to jump through in starting any company, many of them legal. Mm-hmm. And then tobacco, creating a tobacco company adds a whole other layer on that. So he was a, he was a lawyer. And so I was like, Andy, I, you know, I'd love some help with the legal side of this and this and this. And, yeah. he, was like, and he was interested enough in what I was doing that he ended up helping out uh, from the get go and is still um, a big part of the the company. So, the doubt, I mean, in those early days, I mean, uh, our, you know, as a family, our salary gets, our take home gets cut in half. We're bringing mm-hmm. in one salary instead of two. Right. Rent is no cheaper. No. Um, and then the, the big punch in the gut happened when California voted to raise its tobacco tax, which is like a normal thing that you hear about. It's like, oh, uh, the price of a pack of cigarettes in New York is now whatever it is. Um, and given the way that everything is structured to, you know, cigars are uh, fall under that exact same umbrella. Right. And so our, the tobacco tax went from 20% uh, to in July, 2016, 2017, um, rose to 65%, <laughs> which made it in our whole business model immediately unprofitable. We yeah. just could not uh, cover Over, the overnight overnight. Yeah. And so we had been in San Francisco for about four years at the time. I'm from, East Tennessee, my wife's from Florida, and we thought, you know what, maybe it's time to go home. And 
uh, we loved living there, but as soon as we moved, we were like, yep, that was the right, that was the right call. Um, and so she went to Airbnb and said, hey, I've loved working here, but I, you know, we gotta go. And Airbnb, thankfully, was like, well, can you work remote? And she was like, yeah. I wasn't even gonna ask, because I thought you'd say no, but yes, please. And so yeah. she's um, still with Airbnb and has a, has a really, really fantastic job there. But we, uh, honestly, we picked Atlanta a little bit by happenstance. It was like, okay, we need um, we need a big enough market for uh, both of us to find jobs if this doesn't work out. Sure. And we'd already lived in Charlotte. Uh, we didn't really know anybody in Nashville. Atlanta light, Charlotte. And Atlanta, yeah. <laughs> That's a good phrase People for People from it. Charlotte hate that, but, you know. <laughs> I spent like, enough years in Charlotte and it doesn't, it doesn't offend me. I think there's some truth to it. Uh, and so we just, we, we picked Atlanta and I didn't, I. I didn't have a lot of expectations for what Atlanta was and then come to find out very quickly that, uh, I mean, Atlanta was, is a infinitely more accommodating market for what we're doing. The, you know, in, in San Francisco, if you're going to sit around with your friends for two hours and smoke something, it's not going to be a cigar. Uh, and come to Atlanta, I mean, there were, there were two places in the city, in San Francisco, where I could go and smoke a cigar and have a drink. And in Atlanta... Wow. I've not I've not verified this number myself, but I'm told that in Atlanta city limits there's 75. It's I just, believe it. It's a I believe it. It's a cigar town. It's sort of it's. I think people appreciate it yeah. here. Um, it's kind so, of a it's, and this might be the wrong connotation. We like our vices in Atlanta. Yeah. Like there's a there's yeah. a there's some, you know something about that just like, you know gritty like mm-hmm. we're all living in the history of this city that yeah. like, you know, and you definitely see it in like, I mean the craft beer and brewery. Sure. Here. Sure. Absolutely. And you know, I think the South, you know, for a long time had that stigma and probably, you know, for good reason of the, you know, kind of backwoods guy with a cigarette in his mouth. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's part of the culture, you know, to have, you know, that something that helps you pass the time. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. But not that that's why you moved from San Francisco to Atlanta. No, but it, I mean, it was, I mean, so much of, I think, of anybody starting something in the early years is luck. And there's mm-hmm. just a tremendous amount of luck to, um, to know that, I mean, we were never, as a brand, we were never going to try to put down roots and say mm-hmm. that we're like proudly a San Francisco company, partly because they were never going to be proud of us sure. and what we're, and, and, and what I do. And also, I mean, running a startup in San Francisco, you feel like a drop of water in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And um, it has been really fun to come to Atlanta and realize that there's, you know, sort of a, a small but emerging startup scene yeah. here. The community is a lot smaller. It's easier to get around and meet people and become known. And then obviously the, the product is just uh, more, just a lot more loved here than, sure. it, than it was there. It's more part of the culture. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me, so you make the move to Atlanta. What surprised you, other than what we've kind of been talking about? What were those few, those first few steps once you got here? Of okay, a big part of your oh business is online, but how do I, you know, I take think, this I mean, brand honestly, and that's a that's a culture? lesson. That's a lesson that we're still learning. We 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 showed up in November, mm-hmm. and then third week of November um, got some coverage. We had a, a we formed a relationship with. Um, a country music artist who is a big fan of cigars, uh, named, do you listen to country music? I do. Um, Thomas I do. Rhett. Oh yes. Is a, is a big, uh, cigar guy. And we, um, knew somebody who was you know, sort of like related, grew up with his wife. And right. so we got, you know, made a connection there and said, Hey, would you like post about this around, you know, like leading up to Christmas, it'd be great. Yeah. Like, and we kind of wanted him to do it. And he was like, Oh, maybe not. And so his wife, um, Lauren, who has, you know, just, just a, a cool 1.5 million Instagram <laughs> followers. Um, yeah. You know, they really like the product. And so we said, if, you know, if you could post this just like, I don't know, around Black Friday or we didn't give a whole lot of direction. Yeah. Uh, and I remember getting an Instagram notification that was like, oh, you like, you know, Lauren Rett tagged or Lauren Aikens tagged you in a post on Instagram. And I was yeah. like, this is here a, we go. Here we go. Yeah. And we at that time were doing, you know, five, six orders a day hmm. and overnight for two weeks straight did a hundred orders a day. We made wow. from, from that post, we did 24 K in sales in 24 hours. Um, it was just the perfect <laughs> confluence of, of audience. I think she was like, Hey, this is, 
I mean, I, I could still probably quote her little like three frame Instagram story from memory, but yeah. she's like, hey, you know, hey, like I know cigars aren't great for you, but my dad really loves cigars and this is what I'm getting for Christmas and yeah. just showed our product. And, and we were flooded yeah. with uh, people who were like, this is a great gift for my dad or my sure. husband or my brother. And at the time we were still shipping product from my house. I mean, I did not have enough inventory to handle that. I was going to ask, that seems like a that, happy and terrifying thing all at once. Hap, yes, happy and terrifying. We, um, I had hired, We, I mean, I sort of I was like, okay, let's start packing them up just like mm -hmm. last year. And we realized, we're like, okay, the number that we're going to get through ourselves mm -hmm. is not going to come close. So I got on TaskRabbit, hired like five TaskRabbits to come uh, to our house the next day, just like, you know, people... Just extra hands. Yeah. And that was the one day last Christmas that it snowed. It was like the one big snow day. So all five mm -hmm. of them canceled. We had been in this neighborhood wow. for three weeks, and I got on the neighborhood Facebook group, and I said, hey, I run a small company, and I like if anybody needs any like extra Christmas money, yeah. I'm paying $20 an hour, and I need help. And within 10 minutes, we had five people from the neighborhood. Nice. And, it was, and then... I, for two weeks straight, we just had strangers in our house that yeah. that we got to know. It's like a pretty great way to you know plug into right. the neighborhood, and we're doing runs twice a day to the post office over in East Atlanta, mm -hmm. and would just fill up my Subaru with boxes, drive to the post office, come back, mm -hmm. and we would sort of like five o'clock would hit, the post office was closed, and we would just sit for an hour and sort of like breathe <laughs> and like order pizza, and then yeah. seven seven p.m. we would. A lot of times a different shift of like neighbors would show up and we would start yeah. packing because we had to, I mean, everything was being shipped to my house, the cigars, yeah. the bags, the boxes, the crinkle paper. Um, and it was somehow, an even, I mean, just obliterated our Christmas yeah. even more than the first year sure. did. Uh, what a great story, though. Like, yeah, you yeah. Get to, you get to know your neighbors and you fulfill this, you know, huge order mm -hmm. from a... Uh, a post from a country music singer's wife on Instagram. Oh my Instagram. gosh, it was it was yeah. it was crazy, and so that uh, that sort of got us to a velocity where we could outsource fulfillment. So we now yeah. we don't have to sort of. I mean, just recently we finally got rid of the last like cigar boxes from my apartment, but we have like pictures of there's just like a pile in the corner of our apartment of, yeah. of 200, 300 empty cigar boxes. Yeah, uh, and so we now have. Um, a fulfillment center that does that, which frees up a, you know a tremendous amount of time for sure. me to not, you know, it's I think with any any entrepreneur, you're you spend some time working in the business and some time working on the business. Mm -hmm. And when you're when you're packing and when you're assembling and you're packing and shipping your own yeah. product, I mean that was uh, for a time that was five hours a day for me. Sure. And there's just a limit to how much I can get the word out and, right. and build out other things that need to get done when I'm kidding it up. Yeah, there's this feeling I think. You know, I experience it too um, in kind of a different, it manifests itself differently. But like you said, the amount, amount of time spend, spent working in the business and thinking, yeah. I'm keeping as much margin as I can possibly yeah. muster help, to help this thing grow, to feed the family, whatever it might be. But your growth curve is going to be a lot yeah. shallower yeah. if you are, if you're not innovating, if you're not working on new product, you yeah. know, whatever it might it's be. It's like you think that the risk comes at the beginning and then the risk mm -hmm. is over, but the risk is like, you're always taking risk sure. to say like, okay, I need to, let's like invest in this thing. Let's invest, let's, let's cut into our margins so that we can free up time and hope right. that we can continue to grow in a way that outpaces, yeah. you know, the constriction of cash yeah. flow. All about the math. Smaller margin yes. at 10 times the quantity is okay. Yeah. You know? In the midst of a whirlwind career change and a move from San Francisco, Will was establishing the core tenets of the Good Cigar brand, both visually and in its personality. In that process, he began to create a voice for the company. Approachable, charming, adventurous, witty. These were all traits he wants to fold into the Good Cigar yeah. brand. I think of everything that that everything that you get to do and everything that you have to do, that's been my favorite part. I don't have a background in design or branding, and I think any job that I would have got, nobody would let me touch their brand because mm -hmm. why? I've, I there I have no experience to suggest that I was going to be good at that, and so this was a way for me to say, hey, I don't have to ask anybody else. Right. I have a vision for right. what I want this to look like. And you mentioned Dollar Shave Club earlier. I there's this book that I love. Um, called Steal Like an Artist, mm -hmm. which is 
the the central thesis of the book is that like uh, if if you're inspired by everyone, if you if you try to if you steal a little bit from everybody, people will look at you and you know people will, will say, oh my gosh, you're so original. If you steal yeah. from one person, you're you're a thief. But mm. there's you know it's the idea that everything is kind of a remix, and even if you tried to emulate something exactly, you wouldn't be able to, and that frees you up creatively sure. to to do something. So we made, I made a list of brands that I love that I wanted to kind of look like. Yeah. Um, like Dollar Shave Club was one. Harry's razors was another. Yep. Um, the, see, like, both of those brands that you just yeah. mentioned, by the way, have a quality that's sort of innately masculine and mm-hmm. elegant to mm-hmm. them. It's, yeah. uh, it's interesting that you say that. So um, is that, um, and just a handful of others and like, you know, Huckberry and, uh, wilderness collective just like people that i really liked on instagram and their website and the design and uh i i i made the first version of this in the most sophisticated design tool that i knew how to use at the time which was powerpoint so i (laughs) i made a two slide powerpoint presentation that was the front and back of the bag awesome and ended up working with a friend of mine at tilt who's a designer and said hey can you make me help can you help me make this look better Huh. And so um, that's his. His name is uh, Anthony Grant, super talented designer sure. in San Francisco. That sort of helped with. Um, I had the I had kind of the rough like colors, um, but he helped with. I mean fonts and spacing. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I'm obsessed with. So this is our first product. We have another product which I, I don't think that I brought, but. Um, I fell in love with with packaging design because that was I think a big opportunity in the cigar space is you know you've got cigars that are either sold individually and then put in an ugly Ziploc bag right. or in a in a cedar box of 25 and I like cigars enough to start a cigar company and I've never bought a box of 25 right. cigars so there was an I think an opportunity in packaging it in a yeah. way that's similar to the people that I knew and how they actually wanted to experience cigars. That's interesting. Um, Cause anytime you buy one or two cigars, even from a shop, you get like a little plastic sleeve, mm-hmm. you know, which is fine and plastic. functional. But like if yeah. a friend of yours just had a baby and you wanted to say, Hey, congratulations. Right. Like you're going to show up with this like dangling cigar sure. in a Ziploc bag. And that's, <laughs> that undermines, I think the, uh, <laughs> I don't know. This yeah. is <laughs> no, I'm with you. I'm with and you. so, and even on the back, I think we knew that there would be a lot of people uh, enjoying this who maybe weren't that familiar with cigars. And a lot of people don't like cigars because they hmm. have a bad first experience because no one, no one shows them how to cut it or that they shouldn't inhale. Or yeah. so everything about the design was aimed at that. And so we have instructions on the back for how sure. to smoke a cigar. You've Opportunity never, to educate. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And I think also uh, the packaging too, in the size of packaging that you chose provides you a, a big opportunity on the back to also inject a little personality yeah. into yeah. what you do and kind of further build your brand based on the copy that you choose yep. on this backside, which is really cool. We have a line on the back there that, because one of the benefits of the packaging is that it'll keep your cigars uh, in, in the right humidity. Right. So we have a, an insert in there. It's made by a company called Boveda that will regulate the humidity to an exact percentage and will hold that humidity for six months. So it's a way for you to like, you rip it open and your cigars are, you know, anyone who's got like cigars in your sock drawer that your dad brought home from Cuba three months ago, I have bad news for you. They're, they're done. Mm -hmm. They're dead. They're dry. And so that was, you know, our package does that automatically. And so we have a line on the back that says, Cigars stay fresh for three months, give or take. We're not scientists. <laughs> and that was funny at the time. And we figured out now it's actually more like six months. And we sort of, we're not the, yeah. we haven't become scientists, but we figured out a little bit. Um, gotcha. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it was just, it's, it, it was fun and it still is fun to, hmm. uh, you know, sort of find your brand voice and find yeah. personality and inject that into your packaging or your website. I heard it said hmm. once that, um, you know, packaging is kind of like user interface for the real world. Yeah. And that's, you know, UX, UI is such a big focus online. Right. Um, and I think there are a lot of brands that are coming around to figuring out how important it is and how differentiating it can be to have great packaging, especially in the age of Instagram where everybody is kind of consuming things. Sure. Uh, you know, and, and showcasing yeah. them at the same time. It's cool. So we talked about what was in the package. So you get two cigars. Yep. Obviously opportunity, uh, you don't want to smoke by yourself. Yeah. You don't yeah, want to be yeah. that guy. Yeah, I agree. I think there's, I think it, it can be fun to sort of sit and thoughtfully sort of unwind. We don't want to like, uh, you know, say that that's a wrong way to smoke. Yeah. But 
I think for the audience that we knew we were going after, it's a social thing. And sure. so we wanted we wanted you to have one and one to share. I wanted you to be able to like bring this to a wedding and end up like, you know, right. handing one to the father of the bride and be like, hey, congratulations, and sort of build connections yes. there. Because from the get-go, that's what me and my friends, that's what we really liked about cigars is creating that social environment to just spend time and, right. and, and hang out. So there's there's two cigars, one for you, one to share. And there's a cutter, which you will need if you yeah. are going to smoke a cigar. There's matches, which you will need. Um, and then we put in uh, tasting notes in there to describe the cigar, kind of Excellent. like what you're used to with wine. Yeah. And I th- the idea is when you, you know, if I were to just hand you a glass of wine and you take a sip, you're like, oh, that's great. I enjoy it. But when you go to the vineyard and someone shows you the barrels and swirls it around and tells you Different what experience. to, just yeah. tells you about it. The same exact glass of wine with the context and with the story, you're going to enjoy it more. Yeah. And so the kind of, um, we haven't really gotten into much of like the business, the business model and sort of vision purpose for it, but we, um, you know, we see ourselves and we describe ourselves to cigar manufacturers as um, a marketing company to them. So this is a way to get your cigar in the hands of someone who... Yeah. Um, is is still looking and finding their way around the cigar scene and we can put your cigar in knowing it's in great quality because we'd have humidity controls which a lot yeah. of you know if shops that aren't well run don't yeah. um, and we can we can you know describe your cigar give it to the type of person who's going to enjoy it we, I can give like you know cigar aficionados number one cigar of the year to someone who's never smoked and they're not gonna like it because it's gonna be too strong for them right um, right so you're a curator Yes, absolutely. As much as uh, as much as a manufacturer, really, at this point, and and that kind of leads me into my next question, um, which is, how does where do you see good good cigar evolving? Do you kind of scale on what you've already done? Do you have some? Great question. I also you know and throw into this answer. I know you guys recently um, started a subscription service, which I'd love for you to to kind of educate us about, but. Wrap that into what you think the future holds for Good Cigar. Sure. So we, I'll start with the subscription model. So we, you know, the first two years we, um, I think we did exactly what we set out to do. We were, you know, we want to make cigars modern and approachable. And we made this great entry point for people who are more what we call like celebratory or occasional cigar yeah. smokers. Um, but then, you know, what that leaves out is an audience of people who are smoking a little bit more regularly, who are who are interested. You know, we we almost solve the problem if you don't want to nerd out, we do the nerding out for you. <laughs> but there's another type of customer who does want to nerd out. And so, um, about two months ago, we launched uh, sort of a, a membership and subscription program called the Back Room. Hmm. And the idea there is that you come to our website and you take a quiz. So we learn a lot about you, about your palate, about your taste, about you know what cigar gear you have, about how often you smoke. And then we are building an algorithm that will select cigars uh, each month uh, for you. Yes. Um, and so it's not a system where if you're a member of the back room, you're getting the same cigars as no, everybody else. No, not at all. There are, and there are a handful of great companies who who do that. But our approach is we want, to, uh, you know, we describe it as a it's the the first intelligent cigar subscription. Yeah. So there are services like this for coffee. There are services like this for wine. We're not totally inventing a new playbook yeah. here. Um, but the idea is that, that we're sending you cigars that we think that you'll like based on that quiz, but we're also uh, building out ways to collect that feedback. So we, uh, in a week, are launching, you know, in the same way that these include uh, a little card that comes with it, we're redesigning new cards for the back room members where the front of it, you get basic stats, stuff that yeah. you can know if you want to go and buy it again. But on the back, um, there's a, a really, really well-designed, um, just very cool-looking scorecard, sort of like... Like what you'd see, like an old man at a baseball game yeah. filling out scorecards. Yeah. So we build that out so that you can systematically, structurally review a cigar, and then as a way to uh, collect feedback, you can take a picture of that and send it to us, and we'll use that information to guide and to change your subscription. Your so the more that, forward. the longer that you're a part of the membership, and the more feedback that you're sharing with us, the more we mm-hmm. understand what you like, and then we can start to build out this collective. Um, you know, crowdsourced uh, data on what everybody thinks about yeah. uh, a cigar. Like for you to say that something is earthy might be the same that I thing that I mean when I say a cigar is leathery. Yeah. And by standardizing yeah. that process, we can sort of say like, hey, this isn't just one guy at Cigar Aficionado's sure. review of a cigar, but this is our collective community's hmm. opinion about it. And just because you don't like it doesn't mean that I won't. But we yeah. can start to you know identify patterns and 
do you, recommend it that, that way. Do you foresee a day where you create your own cigars? Yes, eventually. I think that um, it's, an, it's uh, I, I believe so. I don't know how long it will take for us to get there. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're already partnering with um, some manufacturers on uh, like private labels. Yeah. So we, yeah. we uh, it'll be a long, long time, I think, before we go to like have our own factory sure. or have our sure. own farm. Um, there's a lot of opportunity, obviously, to vertically integrate down that road. You can yeah. save a ton on, on margin. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the time, we really want to perfect this engine, this recommendation engine. And then the yeah. more that we understand about who likes what, we can use that data sure. to then understand what to make and how to exactly. make it and, and what regions and how, you know, how things are rolled. If, we, if mm-hmm. we're tagging all of that effectively, uh, just the behavior of subscription and what, yeah. people, what feedback people are giving us will be really, really insightful for us to do that. <laughs> but I think before we do that, we'll probably uh, get into having our own lounge. Yeah. which I think I'm more excited about. Interesting. Yeah, so t- keeping it a little more local, you know, and providing yeah. that, uh, that physical space. Yeah, that- I think there's, a, there's an amazing trend in uh, a lot of these direct-to-consumer online companies like Casper Mattress or Warby yeah. Parker where they're like, oh, we're, you're saving money because we don't have a storefront. And then now <laughs> they all have storefronts. And what they're, what they're learning is that when you're a brand like that, your, um, your storefront can become almost like a billboard for you that yeah. like everything is moving towards, you know, I think the, the it's your showroom. Yeah. And, the, and the, yeah. I think brick and mortar stores that are shutting down are people who are failing to adopt it, that yeah. model. Yeah. And I think that works for cigars mm. so much better than it works for anything else. Mm. Because, you know, as, uh, I don't, there's not going to be some massive turning point where suddenly the government's like, you know what, we did a study and, Cigars are fine, and now you can smoke a cigar mm-hmm. in a park again, or now you can, you know, it's, it's being restricted to the point where I think the only two places where you'll be able to enjoy a cigar are your house and a cigar lounge. And mm-hmm. I, I describe it to people like bowling. Like, the only place you go bowling is a bowling alley. Right. And I think that shift will force, force or allow cigar lounges to really step up their game, and I think you'll, you'll start to see a lot, of, a lot more interesting just... Um, places to go and enjoy it and if we can combine you know brick and mortar as a place to experience it and then have all of this data and all of this convenience about you know tracking an online account yeah. um that we can you know that helps us understand what we should stock in our humidor right. rather than just having a store manager kind of guess what people wants to buy, want to buy well it's also um, providing you a whole nother subset of data from the people that come into your yeah. lounge and sure. it allows us to deliver even more on that initial promise of wanting to make cigars modern and approachable <laughs> it was this was started because for a lot of people like for my mom who might want to buy me a cigar for christmas yeah. like she's not going to enjoy walking into a cigar shop <laughs> probably <laughs> because like because people like my mom don't walk into cigar shops yeah. and yeah. i think there's a huge opportunity to redesign the physical space and redesign how the how a store feels and how cigars are sold and how cigars are, are experienced in yeah. that where you open it up to a type of person who previously wouldn't have thought that they would ever go and do that yeah so will i uh i do want to talk to you about the the, the little elephant in the room and you just touched on it is uh the the federal government Woo-hoo. they it's not going back the other way and that has a lot of right. ramifications for you guys from an advertising standpoint. Yes. Yeah. How have you worked in your business to, to get around those um, those advertising restrictions and to educate the public yeah. on what you're trying to do as so, a business? Yeah. For I guess for, for anyone who, who isn't reading between the lines there, uh, it is incredibly difficult for us as an online business to uh, acquire new customers. Mm-hmm. So um, you think about the ways that you would do that as a, as a, a store owner or a brand owner is like Facebook ads and Instagram mm-hmm. ads or Pinterest or Google, you know, my background in digital marketing is getting good right. at like, uh, you know, AdWords and keyword search mm-hmm. related ads. Everything I just mentioned and more has in their terms of service, like a section where they say like the following services are prohibited, prohibited, you know, no porn, no gambling, no tobacco. Mm-hmm. And we get lumped into that. And, uh, you know, customer acquisition for us is like, uh, you know, fighting with one hand tied behind our back. Yeah. Um, and in a way, I think that uh, forces us to be really creative. I think mm-hmm. it forces us to make a really, to care a lot about our product. Um, 
because I think you know I think a lot of people can get addicted to the you know Facebook marketing and sure. those acquisition costs tend to yeah. go up over time. Um, but that's that's tricky. It's tricky. Hmm. It's tricky for us. Um, you know, part of that, part of the reason that we designed the product the way we did is that there's an, an almost an inherent growth mechanism to the fact that there's two cigars. So if, yeah. if someone buys you this for Christmas or you buy it for yourself, there's another cigar in there. So right. if you have a friend over and smoke, and there's we're sort of like, that's the best person for us to that we exactly. want to find out about good cigar company. And here you are <laughs> sharing our product with them. Right. So there's little things like that. Um, and well, we can you also have, you, you almost have to your level of customer service and customer relationship and kind of um, brand loyalty has to be yeah, kind you, of you, at an all time high. You have to do that really, really well. Yeah. Which again serves I'm served really well by my experience of, of sure. joining Tilt in the first year. Sure. I was in customer support, and yeah, that, and that um, you know that matters a huge amount. Hmm. Um, so we are. Uh, I mean, getting back to one of your original questions about, uh, you know, h- how do we how do we plug in to the city now mm-hmm. that like you know we moved here, the f- for three months we were totally underwater yeah. and just getting orders out that we didn't get out and, and meet people or do anything. But we are <clears throat> um, now just looking at at Atlanta and saying how do we how do we establish ourselves here? How do we become like a Monday Night Brewing around Atlanta? We yeah. wanna we want to be known as an Atlanta uh, brand like mm-hmm. cigar. The cigar scene is so so huge here, and I think there's an opportunity for us to sort of plug into that and create just a you know a, a loyalty among people who are excited about us because we're here and because we're contributing to to the cigar scene here in the city. For more information on Good Cigar, check out their website at www.goodcigar.co, or follow them on Instagram at goodcigarco. That's all for today's episode of Best of Atlanta Born and Brand Season 1. We'll see you again next week with great moments from our first season. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you soon.